Well, good morning. Uh, you sound a little asleep. Uh, it was kind of a somber video, wasn't it? Well, it is a bit of a somber topic, and I do want us to do some uh, some different things together this morning. Before we do that, if you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. And if you're a guest and you have a child in second through fifth grade, you're welcome to walk them back and just follow the line here. Uh, they have their own time of teaching, small groups and uh, games and different things that they do, and then you're welcome to pick them up when we're done here. Uh, Before we get started, I uh, just want to also say that if you are interested in a small group opportunity um, in which you learn more about sharing your faith, have an opportunity to talk in a group about that, and then uh, also in our Fisher small group this beginning that Mark uh, Belknap is leading, Um, You're going to have some opportunities to go out into the community and actually practice some opportunities for service and some of what you're learning in your group together. It is an incredible opportunity just to learn how to share your faith and do it in a way that is not condemning, uh, do it in a way that that comes from the place of love and service. And uh, so it is a great opportunity. Starts today at one. If you can't be there today, it's going to be an ongoing uh, group opportunity. So you're welcome to, to jump in next week. If you have any questions, see Mark, and I'm sure he will answer those uh, for you. If you are here, you want to go grab some lunch and come back, um, you're going to meet in the green room, which is right here next to our children's hallway. So uh, today I want to continue in our simple series. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about things that, uh, as we look through Scripture, are simple, yet not necessarily simplistic. And that is such an important understanding between the difference of the two. Simple means that it is not complex. Simplistic means that it does not take much effort. Um, many of the things that we're called to are very simple. God does not make them hard to understand. He, he, we make them complicated. We make them complex. We make them confusing. And that's one of the reasons that people don't always understand what it means to follow Christ. And they don't know what necessarily how to share that with others because they themselves have so many questions and it has become so complex within their own mind that they're just not even sure what they believe themselves. And so what we've been trying to do is boil down all of these things in which Christ is calling us to and, and understand them in very simple terms. Now, as you begin to grow in your understanding of these things, and as God begins to work in you in these areas of your life, if he's not already, then you're going to have some new ideas and some new thoughts, and you're going to take these simple concepts and you may expand your understanding of them. My goal is not through this series to give you every possible thought on these topics. It is simply to show you the basics of what he is calling us to. And I will tell you that if you're thinking, well, you know, I'm just kind of beyond that. I'm looking for something a little deeper. I'm telling you, I'm not deeper than this. This is crucial for me. I know this is crucial for you. And with all the things going on within your life, it is very easy to get distracted and to get busy to come back to the core of what we are called to and then to practice those effectively and efficiently and daily within our lives, then what we begin to see is God doing something amazing in us that maybe we never saw before. So we began talking about a simple faith, and I encourage you that having a simple faith in God simply means this, that you trust Him enough that you want to know Him, you think highly enough of Him that you want to follow what He says. And we looked at scripture, we looked at God's word, we looked at the gospel, and what we determined in having a simple faith was that not only do we believe that what he is telling us is is important, but it is also necessary. We then followed up by talking about simple worship, and I I challenged you to just a very simple task, 
And for some of you, you, you took me up on my challenge and you experienced something significant. And if you haven't, you still have an opportunity to, to do that even today. My simple challenge was this, is that what happens when you simply stop, you are not busy doing something else. You don't have something else on the radio. You're not busy doing something on your keyboard. You're not flipping through Facebook, but you actually stop and you just consider the majesty and the glory of God. What happens if you just take a moment to consider what it looks like to give him glory and to recognize his worth and just to worship in a moment? And the truth about church for many of us is that we come to church expecting to be led into a worship moment, but many times we find that we're not led there and we think, well, why is that? Maybe I need to find a church that leads me into the worship moment. And the problem is, is you'll jump from church to church to church trying to find the place that leads you to worship because no one can lead you to a place that only your heart can enter. And so there has to be a time when you just stop and you consider just the majesty and the glory of God, how great he is. And when you begin to do that, it will just, without thinking, begin to cause you to be thankful. It will cause you to begin to thank him for the things that he's done in your life. For me, it leads me to a place of repentance because I recognize how big and how beautiful, how glorious God is and, and how I am not. And so it often, for me, worship leads me to a moment of repentance. But worship is when we give him glory and give him the recognition of who he is. Now, inevitably, what begins to happen when you truly worship and you begin to seek God and you truly give him all of that praise, you begin to experience something yourself. And it's really hard to describe. For me to sit down with you and to say, let me explain to you what's going to happen when you begin to worship is very difficult because it can be different for every person, but it is an overwhelming sense of his presence and an overwhelming sense of peace because you are in the presence of God. And so I encourage you still throughout this series, not just to think about worship from time to time, but make that a daily active part of your life. You can do it in the car. You can do it at work, depending on your work. Sometimes you just need to stop and you need to set the time aside. Maybe you need to get up a little earlier in the morning or you need to take some time when you get off work, whatever. Take the time to just simply worship and you will find that you are experiencing God in ways that you never could imagine. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about simple love, and what I really encouraged you in last week is that what God wants each one of us to do is to show every person we come in contact with that God loves them. We are called to love others. In fact, it's not just a matter of us saying, yeah, we ought to do that. Jesus says this is one of the ways that the gospel is going to reach the rest of the world, is in the way that we love. And Christians, unfortunately, are not necessarily known for their love, right? We'd like to think that we are, or, or we like to, to love in a certain way. Malia, our five-year-old, she likes to love our dog Sadie in a certain way. Sadie doesn't like the way that Malia likes to love her. <laughs> Malia likes a full-body hug. She likes to sit on her, lay on her. She likes to be right there in her. She likes to enmesh her life with Sadie's life. Sadie doesn't like that. Sometimes we as Christians need to recognize that the way that we choose to love others may not be the way Jesus wants us to love others. And then there are times in which the way that we think is a good way of showing love, Jesus is actually saying that that's not love. Until we show the kind of love that Jesus showed, we're not partnering with him and recognizing what it looks like to be his hands and feet in the world. I I shared this definition of simple love with you last week. This is loving God and letting that love spill over to everyone else around you. That always starts with God. Everything we talk about starts with God. If you begin a discussion about faith, 
spirituality, about what it means to be a Christian, what it looks like to follow Christ or to know God. If you start anywhere but with God, you are already in the wrong direction. Because God brings us to a place of recognizing that he is preeminent. He is holy. He is set apart. We are only set apart because he has called us to that. And it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have that opportunity. Everything has to start with God. Every understanding you have about faith has to start with God. When you come to Scripture and you begin to read Scripture and you begin to think, well, I don't really know how this applies or I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this, you come with the perspective of seeking God in it. When you come inserting yourself into the story first before you find God in it, then you will always move off into another direction. And that is not where God is. As we do that today, what I want to share with you I, I, I honestly share with you with a little bit of fear and trepidation. Do you ever, you ever have to talk about something that you don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about? Does anybody ever have to do that? A few of you, a couple of you, yeah? Uh, today we're going to talk about holiness. And, and it, it's, it's kind of like a peewee player trying to explain what it's like to play in, you know, in the uh, major leagues. <laughs> right? Like, I've got, I've got a little bit of upward basketball under my belt, but I'm going to explain to you what it's like to be in the NBA. That's kind of how I feel about talking about holiness. And yet, if we don't talk about holiness, we will miss everything that we have to do with worship and love and loving others. And as I shared with you last week, there, there is a tension. And the reason I wanted to follow up our conversation about love with the, a conversation about holiness is because you will find a common tension throughout your entire life between loving people and pursuing holiness. Because there are times that we believe and we want to hope that if I, I can just love somebody and just not offend them. I can just love somebody and let them feel comfortable. I can just tell somebody, you're great. Everything you're doing is good. Just stay at it. I'm your biggest fan. I am with you. You're just awesome. And yet, as we read through Scripture, we recognize that that is not always good advice. But it feels good to love that way because that's the kind of love that others want from us. And yet, there is a call for us to be holy and for a lot of us, that may be difficult to understand. What does it even mean to be holy? <laughs> and so just like whether we're talking about love or talking about anything else, we do have to start with God. I, I, I do want to tell you this. Last week is like hitting a home run with a wiffle ball in your backyard. To talk about love is easy. To talk about, you just need to love other people is easy. I mean, who doesn't like that message? Who doesn't want that message? Who doesn't want to be loved? And it doesn't it feel great to be able to love others, especially those people that you already love? Doesn't that just feel great? But the reality is, is that Christians are the most persecuted group on the face of the planet through all, all of history. More Christians have been killed for their faith than any other group of people ever in the history of humanity. In the last 10 years, we're told that over a million Christians have lost their lives because of their faith. And the reality is that Christians are not martyred because of their love for others. Christians are not drug out and tortured and killed because they loved well. Christians are martyred because of their stand for a one true God, for his virtues, his calling, 
and ultimately, His holiness. When we go back and we look at the apostles, you'll find that almost every apostle was martyred for their faith. Only one apostle died of old age. He wrote the book of Revelation. That's why we have one of the last teachings of the living apostles. Everyone else was martyred. And as we look at the history of the development of the church, as soon as the apostles were gone, those who were following Christ were soon on the chopping block. I want you to understand this because I want you to understand the weight of what it means to know and follow Christ. While we live in a nation and we live in a a culture that, at least currently, they're not seeking our lives in the U.S., that is not the experience of many people around the world. And if we were going to simply fall into the realm of, let's just love everybody. We're just going to be great. We're just going to love. Just understand that is not why the world seeks to get rid of Christians. So whenever we come to this topic of holiness, I come with a little bit of fear and and trepidation, but I also come with an expectation because I know it is through the realm and the path of holiness that we experience God the most significant ways within our life. So let me ask you this, when was the last time you had such an immersive and overwhelming experience with God that you couldn't describe it in words? Take a moment. When was the last time you had such an immersive and overwhelming experience with God that you couldn't describe it in words? I remember the first time I had one of these experiences. It was, it was the moment that I truly believed that I understood who Jesus was and that I wanted him to be the Lord of my life. I've shared this before, and for me, it was such an experiential moment because it was a moment that not only did I believe Jesus was real, I could feel him and experience him. I knew he was there with me. It was such an overwhelming, immersive experience that in that moment, that was all that mattered in all the world. Everything else stopped. Every other concern stopped. There was God. There was Christ. I was with them. And it changed me. See, when you have an immersive, overwhelming experience with God, it will change you. Because all of a sudden, the world the way you thought made sense doesn't make sense anymore. All, the, all of a sudden, the things that were most important to you are no longer most important to you because you have found the answer to life. So let's just take a moment here. Let's just take a couple of minutes to just be quiet. And as you're sitting here, you can bow your heads if you want. You can close your eyes if you want. You can do whatever you want to do. But as you're sitting here, I want you to do at least one of two things, if not two things. One is, I want you to think about how incredible God is, His majesty and His glory. Or number two, I want you just to consider when's the last time you had an immersive experience with God. And I want you to to ask Him to be involved with you in your life in such a way that you do experience that. Let's just take a moment. Consider. Think about his glory, his majesty. He created the heavens and the earth. He put the planets in motion, gave the sun its radiant light. He kept you 
In his hands he knows the number of hairs on your head. Knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Just consider who God is for a moment. Father, you are beyond anything we can think or imagine. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are, are far higher than our ways. And God, you have chosen to intersect us into this place, into this world. You have brought us into a relationship with you, and we are so thankful for that. I pray as we enter into just a discussion of your holiness, we have just the highest reverence for who you are. There is none like you. There is no one that compares to you. Father, help us to see you clearly and help us to follow you fully. Amen. I encourage you to do something like that every day of your life. It will change your perspective. It will change the world around you. You will begin to see the curtain of what you think is life fall until you see beyond more fully what Christ is doing and is calling us to. As we look back in the Old Testament, we hear a lot about holiness. And I want to give you an opportunity over this entire series, but especially today, if at any point you want to stop me and say, you know what, I've got a question. I'm not sure about this. I'm going to give you permission to, to say it. But with that, you have to give me the permission to not know the answer. Amen? Because I don't know every answer, but we'll find it together. When I think back to Moses on the mountain, he was experiencing God. Moses himself could not behold the glory of God. Do you remember the story? He went up onto the mountain. God called him up there. He gave him the Ten Commandments. But yet he had to shield his face because he could not behold God's glory. Because to behold his full glory, you could not continue to breathe air and you could not, your heart could not continue to beat. And he shined from the experience. He just glowed to the point where he had to put a veil over his face, come down from the mountain, because he knew that if people saw it fade, they would not be able to understand what was happening. You cannot be in the presence of God and not be changed. And so when we see that, we see is not just the glory of God, but we see the holiness of God. As Tracy read, this is what heaven is going to be like. There are those in heaven right now, and their constant refrain is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So you and I, if we fall in love with Jesus, and we begin to follow him, and we're going to spend an eternity with him, do you realize this is what we're going to spend an eternity doing? Recognizing him and worshiping him. 
This is what it's going to look like. This is why I don't think it's a, a, a strong uh, or, or a long shot to understand that there are some people who are going to get to heaven and be disappointed. Because they thought heaven was going to be about them. And they didn't realize it was all about God. So one of the reasons I believe Jesus says, some of you are going to come and on that day, you're going to say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say, I don't know who you are. And quite honestly, he didn't say this. This is my, you know, Mark's revised version. He's going to say, you didn't really want me. But see, in heaven, we're going to see God as he is. And we're going to be saying this refrain, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. When we read about holiness in Scripture, there are two primary words that, that describe this. And I just want, I want to throw this out there and I also want you to know that if you're following along on version, we may or may not get through all of this today. We may have to break and come back next week. There are two words that you're going to find. In the Hebrew, you're going to find the word kadash. And in the Greek, you're going to find the word hegios. Both mean, for the most part, the same thing. Whenever you read holy, unless it's referring to a person, which is often the Greek word ruach, talking about the Holy Spirit, you're going to see one of these two words, and it is not about a person, it is about a concept, a character trait, a reality about someone, namely God. And it means this, of God, or as separate, apart, and therefore sacred or holy, or separate from human infirmity, impurity, and sin. There is a set-apartness of the follower of Jesus that is uncomfortable if you don't like to be set apart. In all of the Old Testament, one of the points of the law was for God to work within a group of people and begin to help us understand what it means to be set apart, to be different, to pull away from the way the rest of the world works, and instead be able to set up, be set apart for something else. This is not something that is reserved just for followers of Jesus. This is the characteristic of who God is. This is why we worship God and Him alone, because He is the only one. He is unique. He is set apart. He is without infirmity, impurity, or sin. And so if we're going to understand holiness, if we're going to understand that call to holiness, we have to understand it first from the perspective of God. Who is God? As we understand who is God, we understand this, that God is completely and uniquely holy. He is completely and uniquely holy. No one else can fall under this description inherently. 1 Samuel 2, 2 through 3 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Isaiah forty twenty five says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Revelation fifteen four says, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. God is uniquely holy. We begin with him. We begin with his character. We begin to understand our calling when we understand we are supposed to mimic Christ, and Christ always defers to the Father. 
We are called to mimic this characteristic of holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read things like this, I get nervous. (laughs) Because I know me. And you know you. And would you describe yourself as holy? (laughs) I hope nobody says yes, because if you do, I'm going to stand back. (laughs) Right? Right? This is what makes me nervous, is because we begin to talk about God in this way, and then we begin to realize how far we are from that. And this is one of the reasons that some people will refuse to talk about anything in certain concrete ways about God, because we're afraid we'll get it wrong. But His holiness is real, it's true, and it is completely and uniquely His. In addition, God expects you to increasingly mimic His character of holiness. This means that while I may be uncomfortable being set apart, the reality is, if I'm going to know Christ, if I'm going to love Christ, if I'm going to follow Christ, I have to begin to mimic this attribute within my life. And, and there's two things about this. One, it's impossible on your own. And two, you will not get there in a moment. It's a process. I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this. You won't do it on your own, and it's a process. This is part of that sanctification we've talked about that's going to follow you your entire life. Leviticus 19 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all of the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I wonder how this would work as a parenting principle. Yeah. You will do what I say because I am holy. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. I'll let you know next week how it goes. I'll get the eye roll from my older children. Younger children will just walk away probably. But do you ever read something in scripture and just think, okay. (laughs) Do you ever do that? I read things like this and I go, that's my response. Okay. I'm going to be holy now. And if we stop here, we don't look further on what it means to mimic God's character, we will get frustrated and we will give up. Other people will be glad to point out where we failed. And we, if we ignore our failures, will move to a place of arrogance and self-righteousness that pushes people away from God. Holiness is such an issue for the church that we have to understand it, we have to live it out, but we must understand it within the context of love, not within the context of judgment. Judgment is coming. No matter what we say, no matter how we view Scripture, no matter how we want to understand all of this, judgment is coming. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you don't believe that judgment is coming, you have chosen a piece of Scripture to believe and a piece of Scripture not to believe. It is an uncomfortable place to be. I, for one, choose to believe either all of it or none of it. Clearly, I've chosen to believe all of it because I'm here, right? But even though I'm here, do I really live my life in such a way that believes all of it? Only in those areas in which I actually practice it. This is what James was saying. Don't be hearers only, but be doers. What good is it to hear if you don't do? It's like yelling at your child to get out of the way of the moving car. Oh, I heard him. I didn't do anything. Be hearers only, but be doers. 
God expects you to increasingly mimic his character of holiness. And what we have to understand if we are going to pursue this at all is that holiness is impossible on your own. This is what just it, it befuddles me. I love that word befuddles. I try to work it in as many places as I can. It just feels good to say. You work it in one of your conversations today, you'll enjoy it as well. Befuddles. Say it with me. Can you say it with me? Befuddles. Doesn't that feel good? Add that to your, add that to your dictionary. Not as fun to email, much more fun to say. All right? Much more fun to say. What befuddles me is when we begin to understand holiness and I begin to judge you on your lack thereof. Because how in the world can I do that if I can't do it on my own? And now I'm judging you because you're not doing it on your own. So as we approach this conversation, one of the reasons that we have to approach in worship and recognizing His holiness and who He is, is because if we approach it with any level of self-righteousness at all, we will miss it all. You have to come with humility. You have to come recognizing His glory. You have to come bowed on your knees, face to the floor. It's the only way we can approach holiness because we are so far from it. Holiness is impossible on our own. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. We recognize that holiness is impossible on our own and therefore the source of our holiness is Jesus. Jesus is the source of our holiness. The way that we can be holy. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you what? And holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let's back up. So how do you attain the state of being holy and blameless? It is through who? It is through his body that was nailed to a cross, that took the penalty of our sin and rose again to conquer death and has given us salvation as a result. We have been made holy because of what Jesus did. This is that initial recognition that Jesus is real and I want to know him and I want to give my life up so I can take on the life he wants me to have. I want to worship and I want to follow and I want to become more like Christ. It is the initial moment that you experience. Verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If indeed you continue. I know what Paul was saying. (laughs) Paul knew what we know. So some people get real excited about Jesus and then they aren't anymore. See, this holiness is not something that just 
happens that one moment and now you're good. Now you got your basis covered. You got your insurance policy. Now go on, live your life. And you know, it'll be there when you need it. What he's saying is, is if you experience him and you stay with him, you are made holy and blameless. Which is kind of hard to understand because I still look at my life and I recognize my sins and I recognize my mistakes and my faults. And I think, well, I know I'm not holy nor blameless. Which is part of the beauty of the gospel and what that grace and mercy in which we have. Scripture tells us mercies are new every single day because we need them every single day. Amen? They're new every single day. You see, holiness is not the absence of sin. We are made holy and blameless because Jesus stands between us and that punishment. We are washed because of his blood. It is an amazing promise in which he is offering us. Jesus is the source of our holiness. To be able to be holy without Christ is impossible except for God himself. This is one of the reasons that Jesus came. One of the primary reasons that Jesus came. As we begin to understand holiness and what does it mean for our lives, there are a couple of passages I want us just to walk through, not take a long time with, but they're so important for understanding what it looks like to be holy. Holiness means, though, that we are set apart for God and to pursue righteousness as defined by myself. But that's the way a lot of times we live. I want to define what's righteous. I want to choose what's righteous. And generally, it's the things I already think I'm good at. I ignore all the rest. You know, one of the things Dad and I joke about is we, are, we like to talk about sin. Except we don't talk about gluttony. Don't talk about that. We like to eat. But we like to talk about the other. I like to talk about murder. I like to talk about murder. Not gluttony. And so as we go through and as we look and we understand what holiness is, it must be the pursuit of righteousness as defined by God, which means you will not always, maybe rarely, will you ever agree with him. This is where holiness gets sticky and hard and difficult, isn't it? Because if we can create our own understanding and definition of righteousness, then we can shift however we need depending on who we're talking to. My understanding of righteousness can change for somebody based on what, you know, what you're okay with. But that's not the way righteousness works. It is set by God, and we must understand it as defined by God. Part of our faith and understanding God is good. Jesus loves us. We want to know Christ and be with him forever is a recognition that his definition of righteous is better than ours. But I will tell you that is the most difficult challenge you will face within your life is giving up your own definition of righteousness. You will want to keep your own. And if you keep your own, you will not experience Christ. You will not. When I ask the question, when was the last time you had an immersive and overwhelming experience with Christ? Holiness is the invitation to that. It is the pursuit of it, not the realization of it. The realization of it is made by Christ. It is only for us the pursuit of it in which we experience Christ through it. What do I mean by that? We have several places in Scripture that talk about this. This is really most of the New Testament. But I want us to to hone in on two places. One is Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 15. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And verse 18, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's talking to us, not to me. We have natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He's talking about a change in us. I mean, we're going to obey something. We're going to hitch our wagon to sin or we're going to hitch our wagon to righteousness. One way or the other, we're not in charge of either one. We just like to think we are. Verse 20, for you, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you didn't have to worry about God's law. You didn't have to worry about what God says was right. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? In other words... Remember, we were living everything our own way. How great was it, really? There are a few that will say, oh, it's great. On the outside, they'll say that, knowing there's something missing on the inside. But now that you, verse 22, have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In a nutshell, what Paul is saying is, there is right and there is sin. You are controlled by one or the other. Which will it be? Things have gotten very complicated within our current religious context because right now there is a massive movement in understanding faith without any kind of string whatsoever to any kind of righteousness defined by anyone but yourself. This is something that's been coined. I didn't coin this. You've probably heard of it. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Originally quoted in 2005 by Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, by two sociologists, in which I can't remember how many, they surveyed like three or 4,000 teenagers and came to base their basic understanding of what the average teenager believes about spiritual things. And in this understanding of this moralistic therapeutic deism, it looks very much like Christianity if you don't understand who Jesus is. The five basic premises of this religion in which many would say, myself included, is the predominant understanding of Christians in America. I believe there are more people calling themselves Christians that follow this philosophy than follow Christ. These are the five basic tenets. Maybe they sound familiar. Maybe you yourselves even ascribe to them without realizing it. The first one is this. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. That sounds pretty Christian, doesn't it? It is. Second principle is this, precept. God wants people to be good, 
nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. This is where the moralistic part comes. That all religions, for the most part, point to a same moral construct. But all religions are the same. There's one God, one moralism, and basically everyone, if they agreed, would say, it all comes from God. And you can get to God in all of these different ways. I know many Christians who believe this. I've chosen Christianity, but... You can also choose any other number of religions out there. They all teach you to be nice and good and kind to others. But that is not the message of the gospel. Ah, jumping ahead. The third tenet of moralistic therapeutic deism. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us don't want that? I want to be happy and I want to feel good about myself. But is that the point of life as Jesus describes it? Is that what it looks like to truly follow and to know Christ? Number four. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. When is the last time you spent a significant amount of time in just agonizing, repentant prayer before God? Versus, God, you got to get me out of this one. Now, to be fair, I got plenty of those prayers in my life. Some of them I said before I walked up here. We all are going to do this at some point. The point is not that we don't still reach out to our rescuer for a rescue, but is that the only time we ever reach out to him? And the reality for many people is that is the only time. It's the only time. Or when we go to church and somebody prays, and so we bow our heads and pray too. But when are you inwardly motivated to just spend time talking to God, and then you are broken? Just, just, left recognizing how far you are from where Christ is calling you and and repentance saying, God, change me. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. It's the fifth precept of moralistic therapeutic deism. I would say most Christians, not most, that's not fair to say, a lot of Christians believe this. If you don't read scripture, you will very easily fall into these belief patterns. If you don't understand righteousness, you will easily fall into these belief patterns. If you don't understand the clear calling of Christ to those who follow him, you will easily fall in to this. That is why there are not just Christians who believe this, but churches who teach this. All under the veil of Christianity. And yet what Jesus says is, some people are going to come to me and say, Jesus, Jesus, and I'm going to tell them, I never knew you. See, that, I, I keep bringing that up because that has been the most fearful verse of my entire life. And I'm not alone. <laughs> Even Paul said this in his own words. He says, I beat the air, I beat my body, I do everything that I live this out so that after I have preached this gospel, at the end of the day, I don't miss out on it myself. 
I believe the most fearful idea that you can go to church your entire life and not know Jesus. See, holiness is one of those defining factors. And it is so easy not to talk about it because it is very divisive. And it is the number one reason that there are more Christian martyrs in the world than any other people group ever. This is it. We are set apart. We follow God's righteousness. We pursue His. What He says is good. What He says is right is good, is right. Nothing else is. This is what makes us uncomfortable. Now, if you take it upon yourself to go, yes, Mark, I got it. Yes, I believe this. Oh, we got to do something about this. We got to tell these people. I'm going to tell you right now, be super careful. Because a lot of people have taken that tact, and it is very difficult to distinguish between a champion for the holiness of God and a champion for me as a partitioner of the holiness of God as I see it. It's very dangerous. I do not want to stand before God saying, I was your champion, and him say, you didn't even get the point of what I was saying. As we look at all the world religions, there is only one religion in which God incarnate entered into the human story walked with us, taught us, and gave his life for us. There's one. Now, if you become a student of Scripture, it it just becomes so fascinating. You cannot become a student of Scripture and not be compelled to become a student of history. I will tell you right now. You're going to get there. Maybe you're not there now. Don't feel bad. I'm just telling you, the more you begin to get excited about Scripture, the more you want to see what really happened in history. Not just what people tell you happened, but what was really going on. You want to see God work in the world and how the church worked through it. It's an amazing thing when you begin to understand that. When we begin to look at God and we begin to look at what Jesus did, he entered into our story and he is the only one. Almost every major religion has a flood story. Did you know that? Almost every major religion has a Noah. Isn't that interesting? Some people, that's led them to say, well, Christianity is not real because, I mean, everybody had that story. And yet I know what it's like when Deidre and I are trying to recount the same event. She's not always right. Sometimes I have to correct her understanding of how events transpired. No need to talk to her after. This is totally how it is. This is the way it works. And she would agree with me. Maybe not. But. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all. Yeah. No social media posts this afternoon, please. I don't need. But it is true. That we all will look at an event and see a different perspective. And yet what I find interesting is that someone will say, oh, well, since there's a flood story in every world religion, then none of them must be true versus, wow, maybe the flood really did happen. Maybe it really did happen. Now, you're not going to be able to become a big enough history buff to be able to answer that question. (laughs) Because no one was writing out Wikipedia articles back then. 
But I do encourage you to go back and look and see how this played out. I find it interesting that the first, the first church father that was martyred after all the apostles were gone was St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius carried a cross throughout Rome. He taught on the purity of the gospel and what it meant to follow Christ, who, who he really was and how he called us to follow him. He fought many of the false teachings that were entering into the church, many roads that lead to heaven. Jesus wasn't really incarnate in the world. That's just a good story. This was all within a hundred years after Jesus' ministry ended. This, these different beliefs about faith had emerged, and he was fighting them. He was the first bishop, I believe, of Antioch, and he was murdered because of his stance on the purity of the gospel. And it has continued to happen that way ever since. Why do I share all this with you? I hope that you hear within me my own inner turmoil and struggle with the issue of holiness. (laughs) Yet I feel very drawn to pursue it to my very greatest ability. There are some things within the Christian faith that you don't necessarily have to put a lot of effort in. But there are some things that take a great amount of effort. This is one of them. See, I I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that those that portray Christianity and put it in the realm of just behavior modification have completely missed who God is. They have missed what Jesus has provided. But for also those who believe there is no behavior modification in following Christ, then you haven't read any of Scripture. There are places that I come and I read and I'm like, this is not how I am inwardly motivated. But I need to be. So we begin to set into motion ways and disciplines in which I'm going to follow what Jesus says is right. What God says is right. I'm going to follow those even when I don't necessarily even want them to be right. What I know about God, I want to know about Christ and his love for me compels me to want to pursue his righteousness, not my own. What it's also going to lead you to is a very active, repentant prayer life. This is why I'm I'm convinced this is one of the ways that we as Christians go out into the world and take a stand for Christ, and yet we withhold ourselves from self-righteousness. It is our own repentance. And in our own repentance, we recognize where we fall short. And when we begin to recognize where we fall short, we are less inflamed when others fall short. This is also the way love filters into holiness because you see all of this is a result of love. It's love when God says, I'm here for you. It's love when God says, I'm with you. It's love when God says, you need to be sinless to have a relationship with me. It's love when God says, you can't do that, so I'm going to do it for you. It's love when he says, I know you're messed up. Is love when he says, I am here even when you are not. 
And it's love when he says, now go and sin no more. And it's love when he says, now go tell others who are enslaved to sin. There is freedom to be had through Jesus. So the tension between love and holiness, you're going to struggle with it. Because the world has a definition of love and it is not God's. And you're going to be compelled to move in that direction because it is more comfortable and people disagree with you less. But when we understand His holiness, it becomes less about how will people respond to this belief or this practice, and it becomes more about God is so good and worthy. I, I, I want to be where He is. I want to do what He says is good and right and just. I want that. And in His mercies that are new every day on the days that you fail... He is still there with arms wide open, still loving us, still seeing us as holy and blameless, even when we know deep inside, without Jesus, we are not. It's kind of like when you're, you go see your friend and they've had the ugly baby, which I know no one in here has an ugly baby. <laughs> All right, yeah, I can make these turns quick, yeah. And they go, isn't my baby beautiful? And you go, yes, very cute. Guess what? You're the ugly baby. (laughs) You're the ugly baby. And Jesus says, wow, they are mine. How beautiful. See, this is the beauty of his holiness too the beauty. I'm going to stop for now. I didn't get, I also got about another half a sermon to go. I'm going to pick it up next week. And um, I'm going to, I, I'm going to, next week I'm going to bring up some, some difficult things. I don't want, I don't want to do it now. And one of the central questions I want us to discuss next week is, shouldn't we be set apart to make others feel loved? And after last week, you could believe that's totally what we're set apart to do. And in part we are. It is not the whole story. We also have a lot of things happening within the church right now, just hurting the gospel terribly in this regard. So I want us to be honest about that. I don't want us to put blinders on, and I don't want us to pretend that things are better than they are in some places within the the world we call church. I want us to talk about that next week, and I want to talk about another passage that Paul authored that speaks directly to that And what is our answer for that? So this is my encouragement to you. Wrestle with holiness. Don't take my word for it. Go to God's word for this. But wrestle with it. I have experienced, I firmly believe because I've experienced that many of the times that I experience God most immersively and overwhelmingly are the moments that I am most honestly struggling with holiness. That is the grace of God. Would you pray with me? Father, I know of no other place in life where we can be such utter failures and yet be such utter victors at the same time. And I thank you that you have loved us completely and wholly. God, I pray that you would forgive us when we are... 
We are so outside the bounds of what you have called us to. God, I thank you for your mercies that are new every day. I thank you that you forgive our self-righteousness. I thank you that you forgive us when we hurt others instead of showing them your love. I thank you that you are with us even when we are so far from the mark, and yet because of Christ, we are made holy and blameless before you. God, help us to wrestle with this. Help us to see as you would have us to see and to live in the ways that you have called us to live. Let the representation of who you are and the gospel be ever evident in our lives and let it be true. Not what we make it, but to make it palatable, but that it is true. Father, help us to show others the glory and the majesty that you hold and how beautiful a relationship with you is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Tracy mentioned, uh, if you would like to come up and pray, you can do that. If you'd like someone to pray with you, there will be someone available to pray with you. Let me encourage you. I want you to wrestle with this this week. I want you to come up with questions. If you're in a small group and you're talking about our sermons right now, I want you to bring them up. Push back. Wrestle. Come to a place where you understand. But if you do need prayer in these next few moments where you'd like to pray, it is available up here. Awesome.